Hello and welcome to Gaming, the podcast from Indie by Design, with myself, John Robertson, and Stace Harmon. This week, we're talking about environmental storytelling, what it is, why it's important, what are some good examples of it, and how it can change our response to what we see and what we play and what we hear. If you like the episode, then it would be fantastic if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, as it really does help us reach new people. And also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Indie by Design. That's all one word, at Indie by Design, on all platforms. That's it for the intro. Now here's Stace Harmon. Last week, we talked about Portal and what makes it great. And one of the things that I kept coming back to in replaying Portal was how amazing the environmental storytelling is in that game. Um, and in this instance, as a broad definition of environmental storytelling, I'm really thinking about things that if there were no other characters or dialogue in the game, if you just moved through the game space and the environments in that space, um, would you get a sense of what the world was, what was going on? Uh, so it's, yeah, it's really the, the space that you move through and the way that you move through it is as a as a broad definition for environmental storytelling. Um, and yeah, I kept coming back to how amazing it is in Portal and how, how minimal it is and how amazing it is. And that then sent me back to the original Half-Life because of course there's the opening scene in Half-Life where you're on the, the monorail going into Black Mesa. Uh, and that still holds up today, 20 odd years later. I mean, that is, it's still an incredible piece of environmental storytelling. And that was, you know, late 90s, was that for you one of the early kind of standout video game examples of environmental storytelling, or do you is that, are there other ones from earlier that you you recall? Um, I think there probably are ones that I would notice earlier, but I I don't know if I was really thinking about it like that at the time. I I think I think um, Half Life One with yeah when you're in the Black Mesa facility and you're going along the train on the the rail and you see all of these things around you as you go and, and you've got the the woman the voice on a tannoy like talking mm. to you uh although that does she talk to you in the original half-life i i've just been replaying black mesa like the half-life remake and she talks to you in that but i'm pretty sure she does talk to you as well in the original half-life um yeah. let's just say she does yeah um, i can't remember it. Maybe I watch the video <laughs> before doing this um <laughs> But what I, what I think is really clever about that is that piece of environmental storytelling in the uh, the Half Life intro is um, well, like it tells you a lot about the base and it tells you about y- your role and kind of tells you a lot about mm. you in response and like what you what you think what Gordon Freeman thinks is important in life, like clearly science and the truth and you know all this sort of hard work. Dedicate yourself to working on science and the truth of science otherwise why would you be in this facility like underground mm. and you know it's, that's a pretty big commitment miles away you, from anything and yeah absolutely yeah, like not civilization yeah if you didn't love what you were doing and weren't really engaged and passionate about it and believe in it then you're probably not going to be there so it reflects a lot on your the character that you're mm. playing but i think one of the really clever the cleverest thing that it does is you actually see very little in that so you just see rooms here rooms here rooms here rooms here but because you're moving it makes the space feel enormous it makes the Mm. facility feel Mm -hmm. enormous like much bigger than it actually is like it feels much bigger than its geometry actually um than what exists in in its geometry uh i think that's one of the best uh that's one of the things it does best that's one of the results that it creates that's most powerful is it does make you feel like you're going into this absolutely giant, enormous um, facility. 
um, when in actuality, it's very clever world building. I think it's yeah. very it's clever world building as well as environmental storytelling. Like it's doing two things, and they those are distinctly, or at least there there are subtleties of of differences in those two things. But yeah, it's uh, it's because the playable space in Half Life is really not actually that big is not that big a game um yeah. so yeah that 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 notion of like suggesting that it is and suggesting that black mesa is this huge thing this huge entity is is a clever uh is a clever yeah. ploy um I, I think i think i was i've always been interested in it though and, and and there are similar things in so like sid mead's concept paints concept work for like tron and blade Runner aliens and stuff um I think that they're great at environmental storytelling as well. Um, because you can, like, I would spend, so I was a kid, I would spend like an hour just like looking at those things and just like drawing links between things and like creating those, mm. those stories, which are all in there for you to find. And of course, you add your own bit on top. So everyone's interpretation is that little bit different, which I think is very powerful kind of conceptual world building like it's you know it's a classic conceptual art thing like three quarters of the circle is made for you and then you fill in the last quarter of the circle so everyone has a slightly different response to it which makes it powerful in, in that way because there's a lot mm. to talk about it's interesting to talk about how you've perceived it differently but i'm also thinking just off the top of my head when i say that as well like i used to do it even on things like like where's wally books and stuff like that just like because they've got a huge amount of environmental storytelling they've got like little stories in there like yeah. hundreds of stories per per image um yeah so yeah i've always been interested in that in and that yeah that's that uh, yeah i like that connection actually because it is in the way that for me the best environmental storytelling works is that it's it is somewhat optional it's some like not every or optional to the extent that it needs to be such that a player needs to be able to move through a space and if they don't see what the next player sees they're not really missing anything it's just all about what you're gaining rather than oh you've missed pieces of the puzzle or you're going to get stuck later because you didn't see this hidden thing up in the corner yeah. and where's wally books do that because not everybody's going to see the same things like they're gonna you know i might see that guy chasing the dog or the dog chasing the guy and you might never see that on that page and it gives me a little chuckle or but it, it's that empowerment thing as well that like it makes me feel a bit mm. clever for seeing something well or it's a reward yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, and I think that's a good point because some of the best environment, or probably the best environment of storytelling in in games, is uh, when it rewards someone for taking notice of it and being observant and taking interest, but it doesn't force its way on you. So it doesn't make it doesn't um, it doesn't under not undermine, but it doesn't get in the way of the gameplay. Like it doesn't slow the game mm. down. Someone just does just want to rush through. And just see the quote unquote story, like even though of course environmental storytelling is the clue is in the name, it's part of the story. But if they just want to see the plot, like the you know the beats, and mm -hmm. then they can do that. Um, so I sometimes think like um, maybe like the best environment of storytelling is kind of invisible. Uh, well, not invisible, but like it doesn't make a point of standing out. Um, mm. So even things like, you know, textures even. So normally like environmental storytelling is like, oh, look, there's a skeleton there and it's got like an arrow through it. <clears throat> there's probably some danger here or something. And we can probably infer that people use arrows or used to. Um, 
but like it could be like textures right so it could be like you know this place is really downtrodden and dirty and something bad has happened here because of the way or it's you know it's just unloved because of the way the textures are done because you know it's like plaster's peeling off of the mm. walls and the brickwork is exposed or something that the last of us does a lot is like nature reclaiming the world so yep. grass and moss yep. and stuff grows on all the walls and and stuff so it, it immediately it gives it and that's it's not invisible because it's very visible but it's not uh it's not making a point of standing out it's just like all in yeah. it's all in the background it's that and that that player interpretation thing i think there's a there's an essence of like what do you interpret as you as you alluded to already outside of video games the same thing happens um but that player interpretation thing is key for me, it's key to how rewarding I find it because I can spend some time in particularly, seeing as you brought it up, particularly something like The Last of Us, I can spend time in that game just looking at stuff in the photo mode, taking pictures of things and making up almost kind of unbidden, just making up these stories in my mind as to how this thing happened. How long ago did this particular building, you know, have there been survivors here since the since the outbreak and like how long has the has this place been devoid of human life and the one of the reference points for the last of us um was a book called the world without us and it was like a thought experiment it was an examination of if humans just disappeared tomorrow what would happen what would happen in our major cities what would happen to the the subway systems that re- rely on these huge mechanical pumps to keep the water out of them at some point they would break down there'd be nobody here to fix them etc etc and so yeah the last of us does that really well and i think in context having recently replayed last of us part two again that the continuation of that from the first game to the second game you it, it just enhances that it actually adds to the the impact in both games of the environmental storytelling because you see a progression you see that this isn't just a point in time thing 20 years after the outbreak as it is in the first game you then see that five years later here's what has happened yeah um there's a lot know, more water that. isn't there and the second yeah, water yeah, is absolutely yeah. the, the water yeah turning into atlantis yeah yeah absolutely and so yeah those things yeah like you say they're not they're not invisible but they're not being and i think like they're not being shoved down your throat uh but as in the real world like if i walk down the street and i look up and happen to catch some particular architecture that's you know above street level i think something about that and i Mm. i feel something about that if you walk down the same street and don't you're not you're not uh, you know, you're not being punished for not noticing that. So there's like an enhancement in one sense, but without the without the punishment in another. So it's not like a it's not like a puzzle where if you solve a puzzle, you feel great, and if you don't solve it, you you feel actively like oh, I haven't been able to do this thing. Yeah, um, it's it's just... far more subtle than that. So, and I think it's far more work than that to to do it well. Um, the textures thing in particular that you mentioned, I think that's really interesting. Like something like Dead Space where you arrive and you know it's pretty clear quite early on that things have gone to hell but the textures in terms of like the floors being all scuffed and dirty and you can see that there hasn't been much maintenance um yeah and that it had probably hasn't there hasn't been for quite a while uh same with somewhere like rapture in bioshock um and i think that you know, I talk to my kids about like how refuse collection is so important because if they stop doing it, you would notice it very, very quickly. Very quickly, those bins would be overflowing. And that is a sign of something that tells a story. There's like either there's civil unrest or there's uh, professional 
you know picket lines and people are striking or like it's it's immediately telling you something and the same thing happens in in video games um so yeah i mean so yeah we mentioned like bioshock there that's another very i guess common or famous example of of it being done yeah that's well yeah that's when it's often pulled up because you can tell so much Mm. that's that really is an example of if if the if the dialogue was taken away, if the mm-hmm. interactions with other characters were taken away, etc., would you still know what the game was about? Well, yeah, probably. You'd have a pretty good idea. You'd know that it was, you know, there's philosophical quotes everywhere, so you know that mm-hmm. it's some sort of it's been built on some sort of idealistic principle to to serve a certain or to prove a certain um, theory or whatever. Um, and you know that there's been a lot of murders and problems and blood everywhere there's bodies and you know what time you know there's the the, the new year's yeah. day symbols yeah. of like like um logo what do you call it neon lights and stuff yeah uh, that have just like sort of been left there trash so you can kind of infer the not even a year but the day that that it all happened um mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's one I often see Bioshock as, obviously it's amazing at it and The Last of Us as well. They're both, they're both quite, um, they rely on a density of environmental storytelling, I suppose. Like there's loads of stuff to pick up from, mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. loads of stuff to pick up from if you want to. But it can just, it can be just as powerful the other way around as well. Like sparsity can be, just mm. as powerful especially when you rely on the juxtaposition and i think the portal is a very good example yeah. of that from the test chambers into the back the back rooms and the pistons and the the much more complex like less prescribed less um sort of clinical like way that wires and doors and fuse boxes and stuff are just kind of like put together it, i think it grounds it it feels more human i think doesn't it? it feels more even though everything is still pistons and metal it feels more somehow more organic than the very yeah, artificial and prescribed test chambers yeah it's not customer facing i suppose it's just it's, it's <laughs> yeah. business to business um so i think that's a good example i think journey is a good example of that as well sparsity mm. and just using color and shape and scale or different different scales of things in relation to each other in a really big way so i was playing um and obviously journey is doesn't have any dialogue and stuff in it anyway so it really is just all environmental storytelling to to mm. a point um i was yeah so the, i was replaying the opening of journey again and um <clears throat> i think the opening has is got one of my favorite examples of really good environmental storytelling that is that can only really be done in a video game so like it starts with and your your guy is is there and it's the harsh sun it's the sand and it's the haze of the the heat coming off the sand and the stuff and uh right in front of you is a is a sand dune um that's sort of the size of like a small a small hill and Mm. so at once when you start going up here it's hard and the guy's moving slower um, it almost sounds like he's panting or whatever. He's not, but maybe it's just sort of one of those things that the game has done so well that it makes you almost sense mm. things that are not there. Um, so, so at the same time, the mountain, the, the hill is um, is a problem, is an obstacle, but it's also like a savior because it's cooler and it's, so it's so it's protecting you from yeah. the sun. It's shading you from the sun, and it's the way they use lighting and shadows and stuff in that game really pushes that. Um, makes that sort of front and center but then you get to the top and then you can you go down and in front of you you see like these graves what you what you infer are probably graves 
um so immediately there you're getting this sense of like a dynasty almost like sort of legacy Mm -hmm. like there's all these people that have come before you that looks like they've died but i think the nicest thing about it is when you go when you move close to them your your controller just vibrates once as you get close to each one and it's almost like you know it's almost like communicating that like there's Mm. still some vibration of life left here there's still some resonance of life left here like a ripple of life still exists and that's i was still that's environmental storytelling but it's just communicated through a controller which i think is really really clever really excellent use of game things uh, properties and forms of communications that are unique to games i think that's um and it's subtle as well like it's not just like slamming over the head with a text lock saying and here are people that you you sense a ripple of life from these things like there's much much more slickly designed than, yeah than show that. don't tell yeah yeah and well that and so yeah the text log thing i think is because there are a lot of games uh that i can think of that do text logs well, there's a lot of games that do text logs for sure. I mean, that's you know we've been using those for for decades. Yeah, there's a bunch of games. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of games that use them very well. Uh, but that for me, although it is a form of environmental storytelling, it's also I'm I'm kind of less impressed by that. I feel like it's a bit of a blunt tool approach because even a game like Horizon Zero Dawn that. The story of that game I really enjoy. I, I like how how it's revealed as you as you play through the game. There's, there's a couple of twists and it's not um but it just kind of moves along. It progresses as you progress through the world. There isn't like you're you're not following a specific plot line. That's not why you're doing the things you're doing, but you uncover these things as you go along. But it's it often feels like one when that's happening, particularly text logs as opposed to audio logs, when a text log is is presented to you, you stop what you're doing and you read it or or you don't if you're not yeah, interested it's more, it's more audio logs than bioshock actually isn't it yeah it's, it is audio logs yeah and, and that's and it's more jarring when it's a text log that you stop and read and although it can be very effective and some of them particularly some of the um the side ones that you find in in uh in horizon are like i remember one particular story thread uh and it's like it's really quite emotional like it, it's quite a it's a heartbreaking story from the point of view of the character that it's being told from. And it's a completely optional thing. You may or may not see it, but it's also, I find that to be like, it's, I believe it's easier to do that than it is to convey some of those same things purely through the environment and the space that you're moving through and the way that you're moving through it. Like whether you're having to, for example, use the vents to get around a place because of stuff that's happened. Um, I find that's the stuff I respond more strongly to possibly because mm. I've just, seen too many text logs i'm kind of like there is a, a cap on how effective they can be even if they are brilliant it's like well yeah okay but it is still another text log so yeah i'm not you know it's a slight peeve on with text logs but more positively um the games that do it very well as you move through the environment i think those are the ones like half-life half-life 2 with city 17 particularly um and like the last of us and those that you've mentioned but i mean do you you know, do you, how do you feel about text logs as part of environmental storytelling? Is it, do you, is it sort of a completely valid and powerful tool for you, or is it? Yeah, I don't know, a I, bit like cheating. That's kind of how I feel. Like. I, it's a bit like cheating somewhere. Yeah, I think it is a completely valid and potentially value um, powerful tool. I do think that text logs have a lot of examples, probably more examples of when they're bad or seem rushed mm. or seem kind mm. of actually more disconnected from the environment. 
than anything. Retrofitted, I think, in yeah. a lot of cases. Um, and I think they suffer as a whole because there's a lot of bad ones. Um, mm. But I think when they're done well, I think they they can be particularly good. And there are examples, I think when some, sometimes when they're really good, um, they are the ones where like you might find like you find multiple text logs that refer to a same thing or is from someone's point mm. of view and you see those regularly throughout the game so <clears throat> the new amnesia um which i've played and totally forgotten the name of um rebirth amnesia rebirth <laughs> memorable um it is a bit of a sort of just roll the dice random name generator uh, title <laughs> um um but there are there's a there's text logs in there from a character i don't want to spoil it but there's a character and you see this character's text logs a number of times throughout the game it's a fairly short game anyway so so you you know if you're reading them all it's not like you've forgotten them um when you come up to like part two part three part four or whatever um and i think they that form of them can be really good because it gives you another or when they're written well it gives you another perspective of the thing that you're seeing so it sort of like challenges mm. you um to not just take your own first opinion your own first reaction to this as like okay well this is it now it, it kind of has this side angle in um i think that's good i think another it's kind of not a text log but it is text um in Demon's Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, or whatever, they have excellent use of item descriptions, which tell oh. you little bits about the world. And they're short. They're only like two lines, or well, not two lines, like two sentences or whatever. The actual bit about like where what this does and where it came from and where it was found and who it was made for and whatever. And through the items in the game, um, they're telling you a lot about the world. And I think those mm. ones are really that's those those kind of examples, I think, on text logs are are genuinely quite are genuinely quite good. Yeah. Well I think that that has the intrinsic benefit of not being um it's kind of external to the world because the, the text log itself doesn't exist as a piece of paper sitting on the in, side in of a rock. Item descriptions. Up. Yeah, an item description is you pick that up and that could be, you know, that could be anything that could be your character's interpretation of that item. Or yeah. it could be the item it's, itself speaking to you. Yeah. Or like there's there's stuff there that isn't like well, I, I, I mean, still literally speaking with a voice, but you know, it's just it's imparting this information to yeah. you. Yeah, it is um, still a bit of a cheat because it's like okay, so you now pick up the ring, and it's like oh, the ring has come with a handy note to say like who made it and where it came from <laughs> and why it's here yeah. and who it was worn by. Yeah, like it's yeah. almost like you've picked it off of a shelf and it's in the packaging and you can read the back of the packaging. It's like oh yeah, yeah. so great. Um, yeah but they do and but they and the way they often link together and like you said like th there's different things in the souls games that link not just together within any one installment but as a whole as well and i know like i the, the law and the storytelling and the environmental storytelling in the souls games is i recognize that it is quite outstanding i don't particularly engage with it during the game though it's kind of an odd it's an odd thing where i enjoy playing the souls games probably bloodborne more than than the demon souls or dark souls to be honest um and sekiro i just was rubbish at and i really wanted to be good at it but i was just rubbish at it so i enjoy playing those games for what they are and then i enjoy going and watching videos or reading about the lore in them 
um, mm-hmm. more than I do enjoy piecing it together as I'm playing the game. It's kind of like I'm as it's, I'm playing the game, I'm just trying to get through it and I'm surviving as that character yeah. in that world. And then later on, I can read about it. Kind of that's, that's yeah. I also think that, cool stuff. Yeah, and I also think with uh, trying to absorb all of that stuff when you're playing the game because. The design of those games is purposefully obviously difficult and throw up a lot of barriers to you all the time. And there's also a lot of secret stuff and a lot of very like obscure things that you need to do to mm. reach a lot of areas or gain mm. a lot of things. Mm. So I think watching it or, li- or reading stuff from people who have gone through and sort of collected everything and categorized everything and I can put it in this sort of a form that is easily read as, okay, now this is the story. This is the, mm. the story of the world. It's easier to do that afterwards than it is when you're playing because you don't know, you might be the most diligent player, but you still don't know for sure that you're just missing things and there are gaps in yeah. this knowledge that you've got. So I think piecing it together while playing w- within a game that adheres to that kind of s- design can be a challenge. Yeah. It also feeds in for the Souls games. It does the fact that you go and read it or watch it, perhaps. It also feeds into the community aspect of those games that we've touched on. I think before, yeah, the death episode. Yeah, like the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the game design can incorporate that and can kind of, from software, can kind of uh, not certainly not rely on it, but but can get the benefit of knowing that they have a very engaged community and that people are going to piece this stuff together and that there is the appetite for it. And that adds to the community feel that we're kind of in some sense all in this together, even though my experience of it and yours was separate and you know we may never have even crossed into each other's worlds, but we have still kind of had an experience in this space. Uh, And then, yeah, reading about somebody else's interpretation of that or, or translation of that is a is just part of that community aspect for me. So it, yeah, it has its own kind of ephemeral benefits as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's another example of just, this is different, um, moving on from Dark Souls, a different, different game entirely. Maneater. Have you played that? The game where you play as a shark. It's currently just come on PS plus, which is why I've played it. No. Um, and it's quite blunt, the environment of storytelling there, but it's quite effective in that it, in, uh, it creates an emotion, um, around the idea of playing as a shark and you play as a shark and you very quickly begin within minutes of playing you're asked to kill and eat humans um but there's some just pretty heavy-handed environmental storytelling at the very start that kind of makes you be on the shark side because the game humans are destroying the sharks in habitat or something well yeah exactly so you begin (laughs) in an underwater like sewer or some sort of sister sort of pipe like tunnel Mm. system that's all bricked up and there's like garbage in the water and it's you know there's this piece of rusted metal around and the shark's got something like stuck into its side Mm. um and that's a tutorial area. So it acts as the, the tunnels act as an easy way for you to learn how to kill fish because the fish can't get away from you. So it's like tutorializing that, mm. uh, using the environment for that. Um, but because you're, yeah, you're this natural sort of like big, powerful beast in this world where, and you're, you're introduced to it in this world that is completely alien to this thing. And like, isn't, it's not supposed to be here. It's destroying its habitat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you have the compassion for the shark. You're immediately on the shark side. So when you start killing the humans who are like just in the water, just like, you know, enjoying it, polluting it with vehicles yeah. and boats and stuff, it's like, well, yeah, all right, fine. I'm definitely going to kill these guys. Like, I'm, and yeah. I feel completely fair. And it's very 
blunt it's very obvious and in your face but it's very powerful form of to elicit an emotion and a uh, sort of to encourage you to take sides rather than just telling you mm. obviously it does tell you about the world and the environment and stuff but really its main point is to change the emotions that you're feeling here um yeah which is really powerful it's that yes yeah, like, like that hammy actor th- not hammy actor thing but that like stereotypical you know active thing of what's my motivation so once you understand that you can then you can then get on board basically it's like yeah it doesn't take much and something like polluting a shark's habitat is enough to uh so you're you know you're already in a game called man eater you probably get a sense of what it is you're you're there to do and having that that narrative motivation helps just helps you along helps you feel like you're you're on the good side and films like actually uh, my kids the other day watched despicable me and that's a bit like that like because that's a film ostensibly about bad guys like everybody you know the main characters in it are villains they're literally super villains but there is still a good guy and that's mm. contextualized through his actions and not just because you know he finally adopts these three kids and they're cute and they bring out this thing in him but also because the other pe- other people in it their actions are more uh more obviously and explicitly bad like grew has a sense of fairness and has a sense of like you know honor among thieves almost yeah. that some of the other guys don't so just that of putting you on his side as well it's like it's that kind of quite basic thing but it's a yeah well, it contextualizes what you're what you're there for yeah yeah well, I suppose there's no objective good and bad is there? it's all it's all subjective it's all yeah. relative mm-hmm. um but yeah on the emotion thing as well um i mean it's uh, we're running out of time but um I also think because I think that's quite an important part of environmental storytelling that so it's not just about telling you a story of the world it's also about creating those emotions um and journey obviously is is uh, like the king of this or like one of the kings of this and one of the obvious examples and that it's all about emotion it's all about just like putting you through um these ranging emotions this sort of rainbow of emotions as the game moves forward and it uses like color and shape and all the stuff we've spoken about before to do that but i was thinking like when i was just sort of playing the game that it's kind of similar to the way um like again to use like art examples like it is conceptual art in the way like an Ai Weiwei sculpture or like a Rothko painting is just color and shape mm. But it does immediately elicit emotional responses. Like, you know, Ai Weiwei stuff is very political yeah. as well, of course, and has a lot of like d- definite things to say. But certainly the Rothko ones, like it's really about emotion. Like it's about like making you feel certain things just through these colors and shapes and the power of, yeah. of that. And that is also storytelling, like for me, like definitely yeah. 100% yeah. storytelling. Like the story of this game was sadness. The story of this game was joy. The story of this game was fear. Like that story, um, it might not have like a beginning, middle and end, but it's you know it's it's pushing yeah. you through different responses and that's definitely a story yeah that and it's fun rothko i'm more far more familiar with it's funny you mentioned that because that when i was younger that uh there was a rothko painting that was like one of my or it was my favorite painting um before i sort of moved away from having a you know specific favorite anything uh earth Earth, Earth and Green, I think. Earth and Green? Earth Green? Earth and Green, I think it was anyway. But yeah, that was like my favourite painting for for that reason, because it is shapes, it's colours. But to me, it said a lot. It told a story. And and in the way that perhaps the best art of that form does, it told a different story 
not every time I looked at it, but certainly it told multiple stories. It didn't just tell one well, story. Well, yeah, because because your your what the emotions and the the uh, the state that you're in when you approach something like that mm. impacts mm. and reflects differently back on you when you see it. And I think that's the same for Journey as well. Journey, mm-hmm. depending on your emotional state, <clears throat> your your mental state when you come to that game, you'll have different responses to the different yeah. scenes and the different um, moments in in that game for sure. Yeah. The first time I played Journey, uh, it was at the end of a very long working week. I think I'd worked seven or eight days on the trot and I sat down on a Sunday afternoon with it and played it all through in one go. And I remember this feeling of release it was the first time I played it. That's how I, that's how it made me feel. And it's, and that was definitely, you know, and I've been back to it since and replayed it and haven't captured that same feeling. It's a different feeling. Um, I get a different understanding of it each time I play it. But yeah, definitely there is a, a, a huge interpretive aspect to to the best environmental storytelling, be it in video games or or elsewhere, yeah. um, and that's what I guess makes it such a strong tool in video games that it's it is what you see and what I see may be different things, irrespective of what the original intent was. It's you're not being beaten over the head with it. It's up to you to uh, yeah. to take from it what you will. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we've actually come to some sort of conclusion. Yes, we're getting we're getting better at this. That's good. So, environmental storytelling, pretty cool, basically. (laughs) Thank you for listening. That was environmental storytelling, and we hope that you found it interesting. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the subject and your insights into examples of especially good storytelling told through the world. You can find us on Twitter and a bunch of other social media platforms. We are at Indie by Design. That's at Indie by Design on all platforms. Also, do check out our website, IndieByDesign.net. When you're there, you can buy our video game books, including Oddworld Abe's Origins, which tells a story and uncovers the arts of the entire Oddworld series from the original Abe's Odyssey back in 1997, all the way up to 2021's upcoming Oddworld Soulstorm. We're also taking pre-orders for 20 Double Fine Years, our book on everything Double Fine Productions, from Psychonauts to Grim Fandango and Day of the Tentacle Remastered to Brutal Legend and Broken Age. Again, our website, indiebydesign.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.